And to those who are remaining in the sanctuary, I will invite you to take a Bible and to open it to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 3. I don't believe I said it yet, but Happy New Year. It's good to see you on this first Sunday of the year. And we had been in the Gospel of Matthew at the end of uh, 2023, looking at the announcement of the coming king and the birth of that king and the way that the new king was even worshipped by the wise men from the east. And we are continuing now through the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, But the focus, therefore, is not going to be on the events surrounding his birth, but as he becomes an adult and begins his ministry, uh, we're going to go through the Gospel of Matthew with a specific focus on what Matthew uh, highlights for us in terms of the role of prayer. Uh, There's a lot of teaching in the Gospel of Matthew on prayer, and then there are examples of prayer uh, that can also guide us from the beginning all the way unto the end of the Gospel. So we'll be going through Matthew's Gospel from now till Easter, Lord willing, but with that emphasis uh, on what it has to say on prayer. Uh, prayer, I don't, I don't know about you, but it, it seems that sometimes the simplest of things and then also the most difficult of things. Uh, that if you ask people at, at any given point, you know, how's your prayer life? Uh, most of us will have a sense of inadequacy about it. You know, I'm, a, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure I do it right. I'm not, I, I feel like it could be deeper or better. And yet, when you think about the elements of prayer, there's a way in which it it seems so simple and and can be so natural uh, as an ongoing conversation that we have with our Heavenly Father. And so, uh, I felt in my own life a a need and a goodness to um, consider more deeply what the Word says about prayer, because for however long we follow Jesus, we never outgrow our need of Him. And so we never outgrow our need of prayer. We, we can never look back and say, yeah, I don't need to pray anymore. Like, I, I figured it all out enough that that's just not as important in my life. Uh, it's always important, and uh, I think increasingly important when we see it primarily not as an avenue to get things that we want, but as an opportunity to commune with and fellowship with the one who loves us the most. And if we see it as an opportunity for connection, then we would never want to say, well, I've had enough of it and I don't want any more. That, that would make us say, well, what's going on? You don't want any more ongoing relationship or connection. But the more we get to know him, hopefully the desire in our heart is to have a greater level of relationship with him. And so here in Matthew chapter 3, uh, Jesus is now um, an adult and somebody else is announcing Uh, the sense of expectation that we all need to get ready for this new kingdom that he is bringing about, which later, beginning in chapters 5 and 6, he will teach us to pray for that this kingdom would come. Uh, So this is Matthew chapter 3. It says, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. And then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, 
He said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chafe he will burn with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. And John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting to, for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. And that concludes uh, Matthew chapter 3. So we're introduced to somebody named John the Baptist, and his message is pretty straightforward. This is now many, many years after the wise men had come into Jerusalem. They'd asked about where the king of the Jews was to be born, and people started talking about all over town because there was a, a sense of uh, expectation now that this, this entourage had come with these extravagant gifts to honor this king. And so uh, we don't know eventually how those conversations went from one person to another. But we get that John, as he's out in the wilderness, announcing that because that king had been born, the kingdom is at hand. It says similarly, a, a large group of people from all the surrounding regions went out to him to hear what this message was. And so this is many years later, but there was this expectation on the part of people who knew something about the king who had been born that when he then said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, uh, they wanted to know more. They wanted to lean in. And that's the first uh, point to highlight is the kingdom of heaven. Uh, it becomes this ongoing theme of Matthew's gospel. He announced the king and will increasingly in this gospel describe what his kingdom is like. And even for Matthew, uh, the kingdom of heaven is his description, where in some of the other gospel writers might say the kingdom of God, is most commentators will suggest just one of his ways of acknowledging his reverence for and respect for God. Because many times, for Jewish believers, they wouldn't even want to say his name out of a desire just to show admiration and respect. And so here, he's announcing that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This kingdom that's coming from above to us is here. It's available and accessible. And there's a sense of buzz and excitement on people who are wondering what this is. But the announcement is that something has come to us. And each and every one of us need to consider the, the announcement, the good news. Each and every one of us need to think about what it means to be prepared 
for this new reality as it takes place. And so the kingdom of heaven is the, the theme, and what he immediately says is that that truth invites our repentance. If we're going to be ready for this kingdom and to live in it, all of us start at the same place. We all get in the same way. We begin with repentance. And if that's an unfamiliar word to you, it might feel intimidating a little bit, but I, I hope it's not. And for me, one of the ways to visualize repentance is to recognize that repentance includes our thoughts, but also our actions. And so when we sense that we are headed in the wrong direction, it's possible at times, and we've all done it, when you realize, oh no, I think I'm going the wrong way. That realization is often something that happens in the mind. If we stop there, though, uh, we simply recognize we're, we're doing the wrong thing. It's possible, even in recognizing that we're doing the wrong thing, that you could become really sad about it. Like, I can't believe I'm doing the wrong thing. Why am I doing, how am I going the wrong way again? But even that is not ultimately what the Bible imagines in repentance. Repentance is when we realize we're doing the wrong thing, that we then change our behavior accordingly and we want to come back and start going the right way. So repentance is not simply staying stuck in negative thoughts or a sense of guilt or shame that, oh no, I've done the wrong thing, I'm so bad, I'm terrible, I can't believe I did this again, I seem to do this all the time. But repentance, it includes our mind, but at the same time our actions, so that it immediately affects our actions that we want to start doing the right thing. We want to get back onto the right road. And so when John just says universally to all of his people, the way we need to get ready for the kingdom is all of us need to turn around. We're all going the wrong way. There would have been, to many of his first listeners, a strangeness to that message. Uh, and, and even the announcement in Jesus that he would come to save his people from their sins would have caused some people to say, wait a minute save us from our sins? I thought he was going to save us from their sins. They're the bad people, and they're doing bad things to us. And we're waiting for the Messiah who comes to save us from the sins of the Romans or other people. And so when the message comes that he's the Messiah who's come to save his people from their sins, he's saying even to his own people, hey guys, we all start this way. If a, if a Roman soldier is going to become a part of this kingdom, it's going to be through repentance. And if you or I are going to become part of this kingdom, it's going to become through repentance. And so later, that's his message. Don't, don't say we have Abraham as our father. God could raise up children of Abraham from the stones that are here. And so it's one of the unique things about this kingdom that's come near this kingdom of heaven is that it's not ours simply by earthly birth. This is the kingdom of heaven. No one is born a Christian. Everyone who becomes a Christian is other things as well, but nobody's just automatically in. Repentance is the way in for each and every one of us, which is why it should be that Christians are identified not by a sense of superiority over any other people, but Christians have a sense that we are a part of and come from every kind of people. But this is the new kingdom that we now live in. This is the new identity that we have. So if you have a Bible and you want to turn to see how the Apostle Paul uh, also describes this in Ephesians chapter 2, you'll see 
the Apostle Paul writing to believers in what's modern-day Turkey, a general letter that's supposed to be circulated to all the churches in the area, he can pretty universally say this about everybody who is now part of the church, everybody who's now in, in this kingdom. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, uh, beginning in verse 1. The Apostle Paul says, And you were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the children of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And it, it goes on, and it's worth your further reading, but we'll stop there. The Apostle Paul is universally saying to everybody, this is us. This is who we were. We all could have been described and characterized in this way. And therefore, all of us need to take seriously the message of repentance in order to enter into the kingdom of heaven, in order to experience it in all of its fullness. We won't enter in if we think, oh, we don't need it. We don't need a savior. We don't, we don't think we've done anything wrong. Well, then the kingdom will remain distant from us. But if we begin our prayer by recognizing we do need something from outside of us, we, we, we need to start by admitting that we don't have it all together. We need to start by actually admitting we don't even know how to pray. We, we need God to show us the way and to give us everything that we need to follow him. And so Jesus then visualizes the contrast of that in a story that he tells in the Gospel of Luke. And so if you're willing to turn there with me, you'll see the difference in this posture in a pretty short story that Jesus tells. This is in Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse 9. This is on page 824. But here Jesus describes two people both praying, but one praying with a heart of repentance <clears throat> and the other one not. Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse 9. It says, He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And that's where we'll conclude that reading. It's a, it's a powerful visualization. Both of them are praying. But it is possible, and Matthew's gospel will show this throughout. 
it is possible to pray the wrong way or to pray with the wrong heart or attitude. And the attitude that we need to ensure that we don't do that is one of repentance, where we don't think of ourselves as better than others, where we recognize our need to come back to God in order to be part of his kingdom. And that then, therefore, we think of repentance not as something that we do at one time in our life, but that it begins at some point in our life and continues in an ongoing way. That we continually need to evaluate ourselves and say, are we taking things for granted? Are we drifting, again, in the wrong direction and need to consider whether we need to turn around and come back? That should be an ongoing evaluative question that we have for one another. For those who hear John's message, we, we see how they react to it by their confession of their sins. They, they hear this message of repentance and they come, it says, getting baptized by him, confessing their sins. And so this kingdom of heaven that invites our repentance, we show that repentance by prayerfully confessing our sins. If we all sin and we're all guilty of sin and the way into the kingdom is through repentance, then all of us have sin that we can confess. And it should feel natural. Uh, right after Thanksgiving, we were home for Thanksgiving, but then our family traveled uh, to visit Amy's relatives just out, outside of New York City in New Jersey. Uh, and we spent some time with them, but we're just a few miles outside of Manhattan. And for me, like to be that close, I'm like, we got, I always want to try to figure out how to go in. And so we went in because it was our oldest's birthday while we were there. And he's a little bummed about not being home on his birthday. And so I said, I'll take you to the Lego store at Rockefeller Center on your birthday. Like, you'll see some cool things, and we'll see an ice rink and the tree and all this stuff. And so we went in on that Saturday after Thanksgiving and, and walked around and saw a variety of things. And I also love going into St. Patrick's. Uh, it's just such a beautiful cathedral that's inspiring when you see the ceiling and the columns as you walk through it. But as we walked through it and saw all of its various things at one point, uh, it, it felt like one of the few places that didn't have a line of all the places we were going. You know, there was a line to get into the Lego store. There was a line to get into the Starbucks. It just felt like it was a crowd and a line everywhere. We got into St. Patrick's and you were kind of, everybody was free to move around until we got to a place and we saw a line. And then I was like, I was trying to figure out like, what is this line? And then I looked, I'm like, oh, this is the line for the confessional. And I wasn't with everybody at the time. Only one of my sons was with me. But then I told him, like, hey, this is the line for the confessional. Should we get in the line? And he's like, no. <laughs> Which I was glad he said that. Because if he actually would have said yes, then I would have had to tell him I didn't want to get in the line for the confessional. I would have been like, no, we're not standing in that line. But there was, for him, this immediate, like, no, why would I do that? And it's hard when you look at a group of people, and then you realize that that's what they're in the line for, to be like, well, I wonder what they... I mean, you would have thought that. You're probably better than I am. But there's something that's just hard in your humanity to be like, why are you standing in this line? When we have that thought only about other people, rather than, you know, this is actually ridiculous. I should just as easily stand in that line as anybody else. That's a line I should be in almost every day. My, my, my prayer life should begin regularly with just the awareness and acknowledgement that, God, I am a sinner. And... I know I fall short of your glory. I fall short of your standards on a regular basis. It's not just some people or some, at times, extraordinary sins that are worth confessing. But you actually desire that confession be a regular part of what we do. 
and that it feel ordinary, that we could almost just say, we're going to give, you know, two minutes in the service now. Everybody, you can confess your sins to the Father. I mean, in the Old Testament, they always would have thought of their coming to worship as an opportunity of confession because they brought their sacrifices with them for their sins on a regular basis. That's what it meant to come to the temple. Don't come to the temple without your sacrifices because your coming here is itself an acknowledgement that part of what you're doing is pleading to the Lord for the forgiveness of your sins. Uh, in 2023, there was a f- an extraordinary event that took place starting in February that began as a very ordinary day and a very ordinary chapel service at Asbury College. Uh, and I believe the date, if I have it right, was February 8th. And after what was an ordinary chapel service, I believe the theme of the message that morning was repentance. Most people left, a few people stayed, and one of the people who stayed was willing to start publicly confessing sin. And then the people that still stayed wanted to keep staying and wanted themselves to confess their sins. And then an announcement went out to the student body to say, the church service you were at actually hasn't ended. And then it didn't end for over three weeks. Over three weeks. Every major news outlet in this country did a story on it. By the time it was done, they estimate over 70,000 visitors went to the college to join in on it. And it was such a unique thing that when most people are like, what happened to get this all started and then discovered it was actually a very ordinary message. But somebody willing to do what should be an ordinary thing, but is not very ordinary in our day, to just stand up and start confessing sin. Led to then what most people described as just this palpable sense of God's presence. That the people that were flocking to see what was happening weren't flocking to say, what are all the sins people are confessing? But confession became the way to say, doesn't it just seem like God is in this place? That we're just enjoying his presence? But many times our willing, our desire to stay silent or to be isolated in our shame and guilt is what prevents us from feeling and experiencing the joy that is to come from his presence. That we can simultaneously know that even when we confess our sins, that he is faithful and just to forgive us. And so that's what we also see here in Matthew 3. Not only are we prayerfully confessing our sins, but we're prayerfully confessing our Savior. So Jesus interrupts the, 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 what's going on and says that he wants to be baptized so that everybody around who has this hunger and this desire and this expectation for this kingdom to come can then see the heavens open and hear the Father's voice say, this is the king. And if you want to be a part of this kingdom, follow him. This is the one in whom I'm well pleased. This is what I want all of you to experience, the intimacy that the Son has with the Father and the joy that the Father has over the Son is what he wants for each and every one of us whom he's created. That's what we're invited into in a life of prayer that starts for us with repentance is extended time in communion with the triune God 
where we taste and see that the Lord is good. And we just ask him for more and more and as much that he's willing to give. And we are willing to let go of whatever is in us that resists receiving it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. And we thank you for the way that it is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it, it reveals our attitudes and thoughts, many of our barriers and hindrances from experiencing you in the fullness that you desire. But we do come, Father, and we, we want to be repentant people before you. We want to start a new year and not live in what are our thoughts about what's best or what we think you should do or what we think other people should do, but we want to begin with the acknowledgement that we are limited, that we are fallen, that we are broken, that we are sinful, that we have desires of the flesh that war within us. And so, Father, we want your kingdom to come into our lives first. We don't want to be a, a blockade or a barrier of anything of what you want to do. And we don't want the enemy who wants to keep our sin and shame and darkness to have his way. We want to allow you to bring whatever you want into the light so that we can experience the joy of knowing the forgiveness that you offer, the restoration that you bring, the restored fellowship that we can have with you. We thank you for opening up the way that each and every one of us can experience the goodness of your kingdom. And so we pray that you would just draw us closer and closer to you. In your name we ask, amen.